Hey, I'm Sophie. And I'm Sophia. And this is the That Showbiz Baby podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our season four. We're going to be doing a little mini season for this one, just a four episode season to close out the podcast for the time being, which we know is sad news and you all are feeling pretty heartbroken right now. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Sophia and I are seniors. We got a lot of school to do. We also run a lot of um, concerts on campus. So moving on to different things. To different things, yes. Different things. But before we do that, we have some really cool content for you guys in these last four episodes. So, today we are going to be talking about mergers and acquisitions, but first, let's do a fun little intro segment and let's look at some songs. So, Sophia, what song would you like to recommend us for today? Yes. So, my song recommendation for today is called More Love by Sedona. And if you try and Google her, you will not find her because you will only get Sedona, Arizona content. But, like, if you go to Spotify, she'll come up. So let's take a listen to more love. So that song is just really fun. It's fun to dance to. It has a lot of disco elements. I'm pretty sure Sedona, like as an artist, her artist profile is conjuring up the sounds of Stevie Nicks and Madonna. So kind of some throwback-ish vibes, but it's just a really fun song. Sophie, what do you have for us? Today, I have a song called Oh My God by Rainsford. So let's take a listen. So baby, just So Rainsford is a really cool small artist. If you're looking her up, it's literally like the word rain and then an S and then Ford, F-O-R-D, all one word. And she self-describes her sound as R&B weirdo pop, which (laughs) I think is fun. And this is just a really cool, lighthearted track. It's kind of romantic, um, just fun to dance to, fun to like listen to in your car. Just a good, chill, yeah, I guess R&B weirdo song. So (laughs) there you are. (laughs) We're all weirdos here. So let's go stream it. All right. And now on to the main portion of our episode. So, as previously mentioned, today we're going to be talking about mergers and acquisitions for the bulk of the episode. And the reason we chose this topic is because this has been a really recent and huge trend in the music industry. Both mergers, so buying and selling businesses, and then also acquisitions, so like acquiring assets. So we're going to dive into that today. Um, It may sound a little bit drier, but we think it's really interesting and we hope you guys can learn some really cool information. 
So to start out, we want to give you some examples of what we're talking about here. So I can start with an example of an acquisition. So one recent example of a pretty unprecedented acquisition in the music industry is the investment KKR made in the publishing catalog of Ryan Tedder of One Republic. So let's break this down a little bit. KKR stands for Kohlberg Kravis Roberts, and it is an absolutely enormous investment firm that manages over $230 billion worth of assets. On January 13th of 2021, so just earlier this year, the firm announced that they had acquired a majority stake of Ryan Tedder's publishing catalog. And as we've talked about before on the podcast, but I'm going to mention briefly again, just to clear things up, publishing refers to songwriting copyrights. So this would be the composition and melody of the song, not the digital file containing the recording of the song that would be referred to as the master and has its own copyright. So this is just the publishing or songwriting copyrights. And Tedder's catalog in this area spans more than just his work for One Republic. He has also written for iconic artists such as Adele, Beyonce, Stevie Wonder, and the Jonas Brothers. And Reuter suggested this catalog as a whole was worth around $200 million. So that would be an example of an acquisition of a publishing catalog. Sophia, what do you have for us? All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about mergers and like businesses Um, buying other businesses. So a current example of this is that in September of 2021, Live Nation, like big, one of the biggest U.S. concert promotion companies, is striking a deal to purchase a majority stake in OCESA Entertainment, a Mexico-based concert promoter. And the deal is reported to be for approximately $450 million. And it's expected to close by the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022. So OCESA is the third largest concert promoter globally and owner of Ticketmaster Mexico. And then also included in this deal is Grupo Televisa, the largest multimedia company in the Spanish speaking world. So not just a concert promotion, but they're also acquiring like television and multimedia companies, which is very interesting. The deal is still subject to regulatory approval to make sure it's not breaking any anti-competitive pro-competition laws or anti-monopoly laws. And then according to Live Nation, this purchase is the gateway for them to the Latin American market and another step in their goal of having a global concert or being a global concert promoter. Nice. So flipping it back to the acquisition side, I have another recent example of a pretty giant catalog acquisition deal. And this would be the Universal Music Group and Bob Dylan deal. So in December of 2020, UMG announced that they had signed a huge landmark deal to acquire all of Bob Dylan's songwriting catalog, which contains over 600 songs from the entirety of Dylan's 58 year, or I guess like 58 plus year career. The deal also includes Dylan's shares in songs that he co-wrote with other writers. The deal was struck directly with Dylan himself, um, who prior to this deal controlled the majority of his publishing catalog. The agreement does not cover any of Dylan's future rights or releases, so it's just pre-existing works. The deal was closed for an astounding amount of money, and the exact amount has not been disclosed, but people originally um, speculated that it was around $300 million, and more recently the estimate has gone up closer to $400 million, so that is pretty remarkable. (laughs) Okay, and then taking it back again to like more business 
to business side. Earlier this year, Sony Music acquired Cobalt's recorded music service division called AWOL. This deal has recently come under investigation by the UK regulator, the Competition and Markets Authority, for being anti-competitive. So the investigation found that the distribution of recorded music in the UK is currently highly concentrated, with the three major labels accounting for the majority of the market and the independent sector handling the remainder. So the CMA stated that AWOL is an important emerging player widely recognized for its innovative business model. It's one of the few suppliers outside the major labels that has succeeded in gaining a meaningful foothold in the market and has grown significantly in recent years. The CMA concluded that Sony and AWOL would have been solid competitors had the deal not gone through, resulting in a benefit to artists. Sony responded by saying, the decision by the CMA is perplexing and based on an incorrect understanding of AWOL's position in the UK. We strongly believe this transaction is unambiguously pro-competitive and that our investment in AWOL is key to its continued growth and future success. So that is uh, an example of where these deals are getting regulated by the government and they're kind of concerned that the music industry is becoming too much of a monopoly with the three big record labels. So keep an eye out for how this all plays out. And obviously the UK has different laws and rules and regulations than the U.S., but it could set a big precedent for future music industry transactions. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. There's definitely a lot of consolidation happening. Yeah. Um, so those are some examples, but let's take a look at why this trend might be happening. So a couple reasons seem to be coming to the surface as this becomes more and more of like an established pattern in the music industry. And first, I'm going to touch more on the Wall Street side of things. So as you can tell from how I discussed like KKR's involvement um, with Ryan Tedder's catalog, the players of Wall Street have recently identified the music industry as a place to start making investments. Wall Street has kind of long left the music industry alone for the most part, hasn't really been on their radar, but they are now entering the playing field and investing in both catalogs like the deal I talked about earlier and companies themselves. So that KKR and Ryan Tedder deal is definitely not an anomaly. This has been becoming more and more regular because music catalogs and companies are kind of catching their attention as a place where they could make returns on their investment. So here they come. If they can make money, you know, they're coming quickly. Um, And so this kind of from my understanding is why Wall Street backed investments in the music industry are becoming more and more popular. But outside of that, there are also tons of deals happening where music companies are either buying other music companies, like some of the examples Sophia gave, or where music companies themselves are purchasing publishing catalogs. So I'm sure there's some more like in-depth financial analysis about this out there, but I'm going to explain at a very basic level just a perspective about why this might be happening that we've kind of learned about in Thornton and thought about on our own. So acquiring assets, whether that be companies themselves or just catalogs, increases the value of both the company that did the acquiring or in the case of a catalog, the catalog itself. So by acquiring a company or a catalog at a certain price, you kind of set the value for that item at that price. So say I bought a catalog from Sophia for like $100 million. I've communicated to the market that that catalog is worth $100 million. But if I sell that to someone else for $200 million, the person who buys it from me has kind of communicated that now it's worth $200 million. So the value of the catalog just doubled, even though the catalog didn't change. 
And I also made $100 or not $100. I made $100 million off my purchase. So this at its most basic level is kind of a representation of what is happening in the music industry. So people are buying catalogs and companies to kind of establish a value for them, increase the value beyond what they might actually be worth, and then they can sell them to make money who will off of the buyer who is willing to pay like the next highest price. So for song catalogs, that's pretty straightforward. For music companies, there's a little less precedent in this area, but the speculation is that companies are trying to increase their value as much as possible so that they could sell out to bigger players in the future like potentially a Google or other big tech companies like that. And that way they could make as much money as possible off of that sale. So it's a pretty interesting phenomenon and really like finance and money focused as opposed to focused on, you know, like the music industry and the health of the music industry. And building off of that, Sophia, would you like to take it from here? Yes, I would. So, like Sophie was saying, a lot of these deals are not based on concrete value or the company's knowledge that they will earn any money on these assets, but rather as a way to inflate the value of the company itself. So, for those of you that don't know, I'm just going to kind of repeat what Sophie said, but like re-explain it so it's really concrete because it's very important. But a big part of valuing a company is comparing their assets or things that they own to their liabilities, like things that they owe, and then taking a look at their revenue and growth, of course. For a lot of companies, assets are physical things like factories, equipment, etc. that have a value that's comparable to other identical pieces of equipment or other similar factories. So it's easy to get an estimation of value. And if companies overinflate the value of those assets to make them look like they're doing better, they can bit get in big trouble. With music, however, no songs, even two songs by the same artists, have comparable value. They're so different and it's just impossible to really compare them, especially when you're looking at future predictions of how they're going to do because you never know, like Stevie Nicks popped off like a couple months ago out of nowhere. They could have never predicted that. So it's extremely difficult to give these catalogs a monetary value that is kind of based in anything. Like Sophie was saying, if she buys my catalog for $100 million, it's because we came to the mutually agreed upon number that we as two people think that it's worth that. So you can look at historical data, but with changes in sorry, in recorded music royalties and streaming, as well as legacy artists phasing in and out of popularity, those historical numbers might not be very helpful in valuing the catalog. So all of this enables music companies, like Sophie was saying, to assign whatever value they want, which means that their assets is just a list of arbitrary numbers, which completely skews their values, especially as a lot of them are going public, which we will touch on. So this all said, it's leading to music being seen as a tool to make money, not directly from selling music like it used to be, like selling CDs, but from the stock market and the buying and selling of catalogs. Um, if you need just like another helpful analogy, you, music used to be a lot like selling an invention where someone comes up with an invention, they patent it, and then they sell copies of that good to make money. Now, however, music is kind of looking like the housing market a little, where you buy a house, sit on it for a few years until it hopefully inflates in value, not necessarily because you fixed it up, but maybe just because it's a good market, or you can just convince someone to buy it from you for more than you paid for it. And even if the house is getting older as you were living in it, 
So from that, like if 2008 or the housing bubble crisis can tell us anything, it's that shady valuation can only really lead to bad things. And eventually someone is going to realize that they're paying $400 million for something that will never make them a return on their investment. So in essence, all of this is just leading to the recorded music industry being somewhat of like Ponzi scheme or like something where you're buying something and selling it to someone else who doesn't know better for more money than you bought it for. So it's all a little concerning. However, it's not like it's all negative. So Sophie, give us some pros about what's happening. Before I even get there, I do have one more note to add, which is just an interesting fact that I saw while I was researching and that is that the current market activity is showing that the music industry is not even close to this breaking point that Sophia is describing. So when it comes to like inflating the value of these assets, particularly publishing catalogs, apparently the activity that happened in the first part of 2021 suggests that these acquisition multiples are about to spiral even higher. Wow. So that's fun. That's that crazy. Is <laughs> some stuff I learned from Rolling Stone. So that's cute. But um, now, as Sophia mentioned, I'm going to touch on the pros. So one of the pros of this new trend in the music industry is that it's leading to more cash flow in the industry. So artists can make pretty significant money off of the sale of their catalogs, which can be pretty great for many artists, especially those later in their careers who, you know, maybe don't have as many potential revenue streams from that catalog, um, who are maybe, you know, not looking to be super active with the music they have anymore and finding uses for it, and who would rather just kind of make a lump sum of money off of it and head into retirement or a more chill, you know, career. Because honestly, do any musicians really truly retire? I kind of don't think so. <laughs> but I guess, you know, what retirement might look like for some musicians. Um, companies can also build up their repertoires by buying smaller companies or catalogs. So for example, Primary Wave, a music publishing company that has been extremely active in the mergers and acquisition space, purchased Sun Records. So that's an example of a smaller company and also a majority stake in the Stevie Nicks catalog for 80 million. So that would be an example of a catalog acquisition. And those things can bring more cash into the company as they look for uses for those copyrights. Um, so Primary Wave is pretty active in the sync world. They try to find a lot of placements in film and TV for their copyrights to make more money off of them. And so that can keep income flowing for both the companies and the artists because they make royalties off of that. So Wall Street's involvement in the music industry, on a similar note, is also offering an additional source of cash because Wall Street investment firms are pouring money into companies and catalogs which can then be used to pursue greater or more expensive opportunities that they might not have been able to, you know, pursue before. And then there is the potential to generate a pretty significant return on their investment. This would be another, I have another primary wave example, actually. The investment from BlackRock, which has $7.8 trillion worth of assets under its care, which is ridiculous, um, invested $300 million in a primary wave, who then used that money to invest into catalogs one of the catalogs being Bob Marley's. And now they're going to use that to try to generate, you know, more revenue for their company. Whether or not that will be successful actually proved to be, you know, I don't know if they'll make more money than what they put into it, but that, you know, jury is still out. So really, after all that discussion, the main benefits that I can identify are that there's just more cash available for some artists and some companies, not all of them. And in turn, that could lead to more potential opportunity to grow. But, you know, comes along with many cons as well, which Sophia is going to discuss. 
buckle up, kids. No. First of all, it can easily lead to what we touched on at the beginning, the monopolization of recorded music or just the music industry in general. If the only way to make money in this new industry business model is having hundreds of millions of dollars to do these deals and going public on the stock market, it will only create a larger and larger gap between the big labels and the indie ones. And it also like will give them a better buying power to acquire or like merge with these smaller companies. So it will probably aid in getting rid of a lot of the indie and smaller level music companies. Second, um, they are paying hundreds of millions of dollars for these catalogs, I'm looking mostly at the record labels, when their current artists can't even eat on their recording royalties. To me, that's an ethical problem that their artists who are already like in my opinion, scammed with a probably terrible contract, will probably never be able to recoup or see a dime from their recorded music ever again. And then they are flaunting these huge, huge purchases of catalogs from older artists. So it just kind of is a little shady in that regard. Third, it takes a lot of the artistry out of music, in my opinion, and makes musicians more of a cash cow than ever before. Obviously, the music industry needs to make money to keep it going. And They've always cared about making money, but they traditionally had to do it in a way that would lead to their artists' success. So from their artists' success, they could make money. And this pattern kind of takes that requirement away, and they can still be hugely profitable without their current artists finding success. So that ties a little bit into number two. Next, the music industry is becoming a stock market sector, like Sophie was saying, which changes the entire way that money's earned and looked at in the industry. I don't really want to go too deep into that, but just think about it. (laughs) And then eventually people are going to realize what's going on and maybe there will be a collapse in some way. Um, These kind of like schemes or bubbles, whatever you want to call it, don't last forever. And then once people realize that Bob Dylan songs are never going to make them $400 million, maybe that will lead to something bad. Who knows? (laughs) Just Just theoretical. Just a thought. Yeah. (laughs) All right, now we've been hinting at it this whole time. Let's talk about music companies going public. Yes, so we're each going to start with some examples. This has been another trend, not directly related to the mergers and acquisitions, but just in general, I guess, like a trend in the big business world of the music industry. And we want to talk about that too, because it's pretty interesting. So yes, we're each going to give an example, and then we're also going to talk about the pros and cons of this trend So I can start with a pretty recent example. Um, Just this last week, Universal Music Group went public on September 21st, 2021. So this is a pretty huge piece of news in the music industry, and it represents really just the next IPO of many in the music industry, which stands for Initial Public Offering, if you did not know. Um, So yeah, let's get into, into the details of this. So, actually, only 60% of the company hit the stock market. Out of the remaining 40% of the company, 20% is privately owned by a consortium headed up by China's big streaming company, Tencent. 10% is owned by the investment firm Pershing Square Holdings. And the final 10% is being retained by Vivendi, which is a, Paris, which is a Paris-based company that was UMG's parent company and is the one who is relinquishing the other 60% of the company to the stock market, which was news to me because I did not know that UMG had a parent company. Mm -hmm. I thought they were the parent. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
So being a European-based company, really, because Vivendi is located in Paris, the company opened on the Euronext Amsterdam Stock Exchange with a share price of $29.63 on September 21st, which translated to an overall value of $53.4 billion. So it's actually pretty interesting to read through the details about this IPO because due to the fact that Vivendi is a European company, there are a lot of intricacies about how the foreign affairs thing kind of impacts the situation, like what happens in Europe versus what happens in the United States. But that's too much to get into here. And honestly, (laughs) I don't really understand it. (laughs) And I'm not qualified to talk about it. So just research that on your own if you think that that's interesting. But after UMG went public, that first day, the shares really jumped around in terms of value. They first really surged and then fell back quite a bit on that first day. And since then, there's been an overall decline in value over... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Rip. (laughs) There has been an overall decline in value of the share price over the past couple of days. I guess it's been about four days now. So, you know, really not much history to go on, but... That was how they entered the market. Sophia, what's the example you have for us? I brought Spotify. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Which is an example of a music company that has been very successful on the stock market. It didn't have quite as big of an initial um, day as UMG, but it's also a smaller company. Spotify went public in 2018 and was initially trading at 165 dollars and 90 cents per share valuing it at 29.5 billion dollars as of recording this it is currently sitting at 230 dollars and 20 cents per share and is worth 43.79 billion dollars on the stock market however a little fun fact spotify has never made a profit and according to a lot of people in the industry will never make a profit so just think about that really like (laughs) go over it in your brain i'm not gonna like give you too much details, but I'll leave you with those facts. And maybe we can think about the valuation of music and these companies, despite their financial history. Yeah. As an addition to that, hasn't Spotify lost around like four or five billion dollars since they started? Yeah. Not even like hasn't made a profit, but like loses money, like bleeding cash. (laughs) Billions with a B. (laughs) So that's cute. (laughs) But You know, there are two sides to every issue, so we want to take a look at both the pros and cons of what going public really is and, you know, does for companies. So the advantages of going public include, one, you have more fundraising ability, so more money. Uh, Many offerings bring in hundreds of millions of dollars. And going public can also lead to a very lucrative exit opportunity for stakeholders who have been longtime investors but have not seen much financial return. So say there's people who have, you know, kind of had a stake in the company while the company was private can be, yes, a very, I guess, like wealth generating exit opportunity when that company goes public. Investors can bring in huge sums of cash when this happens and at the very least can liquefy capital that they have in the company. Um, Going public can also lend publicity and credibility to the company who decides to do so. And also, stock can be used as a means of payment for employees in publicly traded companies. 
So really all of these things loop back to more money. And it's interesting to note that many music industry executives are heavily invested in their own companies and so stand to benefit tremendously on a personal level from the IPO of their company. So while we cannot really know for sure exactly what their reasoning is on some of these decisions, like whether to go public or stay private, it's definitely not a crazy speculation to assume that some of these music executives or investors are, you know, thinking about the payout that going public can offer them, which maybe is a little bit of a cynical approach, but I feel like the more you learn about the financial health and trends in the music industry, the less far off it seems. So (laughs) there you have it. All right, now we'll move on to some of the cons of all of this. So first, these stock valuations are not always based on anything concrete, if the entirety of this episode hasn't led you to that conclusion yet. Um, Seeing as like Spotify has never really made a profit, and what we talked about with the buying and selling of catalogs, the overinflation, yada yada. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying like companies like Spotify I don't have any assets. Spotify has a lot of technology that they work on and like AI software and programs that we have talked about that they have developed. So I'm sure that is worth a lot of money. But on their general like day-to-day business, they are losing a bleep ton of money (laughs) and they are still worth $50 billion or whatever. So it's not always necessarily based on anything concrete. Second, it could make executives at music companies focus more on stock performance than the success of their artists, if they have artists, um, which would deteriorate the thing that makes the music industry valuable in the first place, which is songs and having new songs come out. In that kind of vein, executives that do have stock in the company, especially like majority stock, and stand to gain a lot from their stock shares, um, it could lead them to self-serving choices that aren't necessarily in the interest of the company as a whole, but more of in interest of themselves and what they stand to gain from potentially selling the company. And then finally, it allows these companies that I personally believe to have some unethical business practices to have even more money from these investors that they can use to further exploit creative people if that's their game. So those are my cons. Quite the stacked list. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But all in all, we think that's a pretty interesting topic, very relevant to what's happening in the music industry right now, kind of unavoidable, I feel like, no matter what company you work at or what news channel you look at. So um, we definitely wanted to take a deeper dive and we hoped you enjoyed as well. So thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you all for listening. You can find us on Instagram at sophia.productions and please go rate, download, and follow wherever you get your podcasts.